Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. One reason you want to come to church on a Wednesday night is that on occasion on Wednesday nights, because I feel like it's a smaller group, I can share with you embarrassing stories and hope that that doesn't go too far. Tonight, you're in luck. It's an embarrassing story night. Congratulations, you've kind of won the lottery. So I, I tell you this story because uh, it sort of fits in with what we're talking about in terms of Jesus as the mystical friend. Uh, a long time ago, uh, my, I came across a book that a guy wrote. I can't remember the, the, the author's name, but in this book, he wrote about several visions that he had that he claimed that were from God. And he described all these outrageous things that he was seeing and tried to talk about what the meaning was. Again, we're talking about visions of heaven, you know, there on the clouds, seeing angels, seeing uh, the lamb on his throne, God speaking to him in this special way. And I have to tell you, I was taken aback by that because uh, at this time in my life, I, I was in high school and I was really serious about my faith. And I thought, wow, what a great way to grow my faith. Maybe, maybe I could have a vision from God. You know, maybe I could hear from God. And you can see how embarrassing this is getting already. And so... Here I am thinking about this, and I remember reading in the book that the guy said that one time to get this vision, what he did was he basically went out and sat underneath a tree, and he said, God, I'm not leaving this tree until you give me a vision. And I thought, that's great. So I did a similar thing. I, I sat on my bed one night, and I thought, God, I'm not going to sleep until you, get me a until you give me a vision. And guess what? I had a vision. I had a vision that it was time to get ready for school. Like God had, had transported me into the future, like eight hours into the future, and I woke up, and there I am, uh, realizing that I need to get ready for school. And that vision lasted the whole day. Um, and so somehow, you know, God had given me that. And the, the thing was, uh, that vision wasn't very good because it was just me going to school, and it wasn't actually a, a vision. I was joking about that. I just fell asleep, and then I woke up, so I couldn't even keep my word to God. Um, and so I thought to myself, I'll try again. Um, I'll do what he did exactly. I'll sit underneath the tree, right? I'll sit underneath the tree and, uh, you know, God, give me a vision. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to move until you give me a vision from you, some kind of special word. How cool would that be? So I'm sitting underneath the tree uh, in my backyard, um, and I don't fall asleep, but I do get really bored. I stand up. I begin to walk around the backyard. Eventually, I lose interest, and I go back inside. No vision. I'm 0 for 2 on visions, by the way. Uh, fortunately, that's where me seeking a vision stops. So I'm also comforted, though, by the fact that I'm not alone in sort of that pursuing some kind of crazy spiritual experience. In fact, uh, this is something that goes back a long way. There's a church father by the name of Irenaeus, and he was uh, living at the end of the second century. And Irenaeus is famous for uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe against a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Uh, the Greek word uh, that that comes from is gnosis, which is knowledge. So people who were Gnostics, people who followed Gnosticism, were claiming a special knowledge from God, a special knowledge from Jesus. Gnosticism existed before Christianity, but whenever Christianity came around and its popularity began to threaten the existence of Gnosticism. Gnostic people adopted their beliefs so that instead of just some sort of weird spiritual God out in the universe giving you visions, it was Jesus giving you visions. So they tried to take their false religion and make it compatible 
with Christianity. And so the thing about Gnosticism, again, is it's about special knowledge. It's about a special revelation. Also, Gnostics didn't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus was now kind of a spirit who worked through different people, who showed up at different times through these special revelations, but he wasn't a savior in the flesh. And so you can kind of see some of the similarities that we have today with, with people claiming special visions and wanting to see Jesus and hear Jesus' voice and all that. And actually, Gnosticism goes back even further. If you've read the Gospel of John, then you've seen somebody kind of fighting against Gnosticism there too. Jesus talks about how, or John talks about how Jesus came in the body. In John's Gospel, you hear all kinds of earthly human things that Jesus does. John eleven thirty five. Does anybody know that? John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible, two words. Jesus wept. All right. If you didn't know that, it would have been Pastor wept. But yeah, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. And uh, John also talks about how when Jesus was crucified, actual blood and water flowed from his side, and you have Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the banks of the shore of the sea, eating food after he's been crucified and raised from the dead. So even in the earliest times, this has been around, this idea of Jesus coming to us in, in these special ways, speaking to us in, in voices, giving visions and, and images, and all that. And so as we look to today and look at our culture, we see the same things going on. And this is where we meet our next false Christ. Jesus, the mystical friend. The mystical friend Jesus appears to people again in these super secret, personal, special ways. Uh, the mystical Jesus uh, doesn't depend upon revealing himself to his people through his word or through the sacraments, but people are told uh, by this mystical friend to listen to their hearts, to look inward and more deeply to find Jesus there. And this Jesus is a lot like Gnosticism because it's hardly ever mentioned about how Jesus rose from the dead. But again, Jesus is a spiritual presence that we can maybe sense or feel. And to be able to sense or feel this presence of Jesus, you really are among the more advanced Christians. Okay? And so maybe that definition doesn't do it for you, so I'll break it down a little bit further. Again, Jesus, the mystical friend, might be showing up in conversation with somebody if you hear something like, you know, I, I just heard a special word from God. You know, or, or you know what God told me to. Um, or I, again, I had a dream or a vision. Other ways that you might know that you're encountering this false Christ, the mystical friend, might be like if you feel like you need to find Jesus in the secret, in the quiet place to know he's there, and to find him you need to go to the garden alone and you're there alone because you're but a stranger here and heaven is your home, all of those things are kind of the mystical friend, Jesus. And this idea even goes back further. Now, there's no such thing as Gnosticism in the Old Testament. That really isn't there yet. But we do find this desire to be in special contact with God or the gods, depending upon who we're referring to at this time. So in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we find before Moses' words about a prophet who's going to come, a flesh and blood prophet, will be just like his brothers. 
we hear Moses warning the people of Israel away from sorcery, divination, or again, creating spells or, or seeking special visions from the gods. Because the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land, and there they're going to encounter all kinds of false idols, false religions that have these many different gods. And wherever we see religion, whether it's our own Christianity or whether it's idolatry or false Christ or however you'd like to name it, there again we find that desire, that desire to be in special contact with God, that desire to be able to have special conversations with God. And I think this goes on for a couple of reasons. The first reason is simply that we want to have a closer relationship with God. The second reason, though, is a little bit more insidious. Because it seems to be that whenever you find the mystical friend Jesus, there's sort of a hierarchy, right? The true Christians are the ones who can have these special visions or have this special contact with God. Whenever I was in college, I, I, I worked at an airport during the summers in my hometown, and I remember there that I encountered the mystical friend Jesus in a conversation. I told somebody that I wanted to be a pastor, and he said, oh, have you had a vision? Can you speak in tongues? And the idea was is that you can't really be a pastor if you don't have any sort of super special gift. Well, I'm living proof that you can be a pastor without anything special at all about you, except for my charming personality. Another reason why we need to really feel like we have to have this special contact with, with God and, and seek these kind of visions or revelations or a special word, or why we might be drawn to people that, that, that say this or claim this about themselves, is a fear. It's a fear that God would stop speaking. That we might lose whatever connection we have with him. We all know what things were like when God wasn't speaking. Because we have that image in Genesis chapter 1. There was chaos. That there was this watery substance that was formless and shapeless until God spoke and created order. We fear that we would fall into chaos away from God. We're not clinging to some kind of special connection to him. Moses directs us to the way that we are connected to God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he says that God will raise up from among the brothers of Israel a prophet just like Moses. And he's saying this because Moses is preparing the people of Israel for a time where he won't be there. You see, the people are about to enter into that promised land, as I mentioned already, and Moses will not be able to enter with them. The time is drawing near for Moses' ministry to close. So how will the people hear from God? How will they be able to continue the relationship of worship and, and to continue to receive instruction from him? What certainty will they have that their prayers are heard from God? What, who will be the mediator? And so Moses tells them, there's going to be a prophet who's going to be just like you, just like I was just like you. He will speak God's word. God will put his words in that prophet's mouth. And so he did. We know that, that God spoke to Joshua as Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, telling Joshua, don't be afraid. Wherever your feet go, I will be with you. 
We know that God spoke to the people of Israel through Samuel, the prophet, also Nathan, the prophet, who interacted with King David a lot. We also know that God spoke to the people through others, like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. The problem is, is that with each of these prophets, their voice fell silent. Each of them died. And whenever there was no prophet, there was even more chaos than there was when there was a prophet. The people of Israel would fall apart spiritually. There was no one speaking to them that word, God. But now, we look at the flesh and blood prophet given to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the former days God spoke to us through the prophets, but now in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And this son Jesus was transfigured on top of a mountain there with three of his disciples watching it. And who appeared next to Jesus but Moses and Elijah? And who remained after God left but Jesus alone? As Moses and Elijah fade into the background, there is Jesus and Jesus only, the one who will speak for God the Father. In fact, as the cloud covers the mountain, if you remember that part of the story, there's a cloud that covers the, the top of the mountain as Jesus is transfigured. And his appearance changes before the disciples. His clothes become this gleaming white. And God the Father speaks from that cloud and he says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now compare that back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. There's going to be a prophet who's going to come. He's going to be from among your brothers. You must listen to him. That's what Moses said. And now we have God the Father saying that about Jesus directly. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And so we have a Savior who can speak that real word of God to us and who still speaks that real word of God to us. We don't need to always be in a panicked, worried state about how deep our faith is or, or how advanced we are spiritually. Because the word of God is right there. That, that love of God, that message of his love, that message of his grace, the message of his desire for you to be and continue to be his child is right there. His word for you. You don't need to look in your heart. Check your forehead instead. After all, that's where the water went. When you were baptized three times, or the water was splashed three times, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what sealed your relationship with God. That's what brought you into his family. That's what keeps you in his family, that promise of baptism. We don't need to look for voices or, or special revelations or visions. We don't need the mystical friend, the false Christ. We need the real Savior. And the real Savior is close to us. He's among us speaking still this day through his word. And what's more is that this Jesus, this real Savior, also endured that thing which we fear most. Silence from God, followed by chaos. As he suffered on the cross, he was mocked. Why don't you call down legion of angels? Maybe they'll save you. You are who you claim to be. That's what would happen. He remained silent, and it seemed as if God the Father wasn't going to move either. But God the Father did move. 
covered the land with darkness. Jesus was alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we brought up last week, he endured hell. A complete separation and also that silence from God the Father. We don't have to fear that loss of God's voice. Be afraid that he might never speak to us for, this, for our sins, for a lack of faith. A real prophet has been given to you, raised from among your brothers. This is the amazing thing. Just a few months ago, I had heard for the first time an audio recording of C.S. Lewis's voice. If you don't know this, even though C.S. Lewis, this this theologian who was alive in England during World War II, he gave so many addresses over the radio to encourage British troops during that incredibly dark time. And so his voice was heard prominently for years over the radio, and yet, to this day, there are very few recordings of his voice in existence. I'm thinking maybe three, four, possibly five. And I had grown up reading a lot of C.S. Lewis. I still read a lot of C.S. Lewis. And how amazing was it to not only read, but to hear. To hear the voice of this person who, for me, is kind of a spiritual father, C.S. Lewis. It was incredible. I was there in my office. I was, I was working, but it just came across it. <laughs> and that's the promise given to you. But you will see and hear Jesus in the flesh, raised for you, coming back for you. Do not need to be afraid. Christ is coming. He will not direct us into our hearts, or for there we'll only find sin and darkness. He directs us to himself. Find light. Promise we will finally truly see and hear God our Father.